Oh my goodness, it's Steven Seifert. It's Dan Landrum, of all people. How are you, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, wow. It's been a while since we've talked. I know. I think we've actually done three podcasts that we haven't released because maybe we lost them. <laughs> what happened? Somebody cussed at some point. <laughs> I might have, but the second one we didn't like, and the third one, I just, we recorded it, and, that, and it just went into the ether. Yeah, so you may not know, Aaron and I have done the last two weeks in a row. Yeah, I listened to a little bit of one of those. It, it wasn't bad. <laughs> That's Wow, that is not an endorsement. <laughs> no, I mean, I like Aaron. I was thinking how, how uh, you know, the show might go better with, with you know, a third person now and then. I would kind of like to try that. Yeah, well, I think we need to. We, need to, we ought to give that a try and see what happens. Uh, we... I'm saying this now for the benefit of the listeners because they need to get some benefit out of this. The uh, Like right now, I just said, hey, are you going to be able to do a podcast? I texted you this morning, and you said, yeah, and you told me what time. And we just set up a Skype call. We didn't talk at all about anything other than you complaining about my count-in. <laughs> yeah, you don't subdivide. I, well, because I'm looking at a timer, and I'm counting – or, or to you, say, you could wave your hand in the air like a, a basketball referee or something. No, but it's all the problem with that delay. But anyway, so we just started here, and we really haven't had time to talk at all. No, the, the but, point of the podcast is this is our time to talk. Yeah, I know. And, man, we got a lot of stuff to go over. You know when I quit listening to you and Aaron? Guess. I don't know. Just guess. Uh, which podcast did you listen to, the last one or the one before? I have no idea. <laughs> well, how am I going to guess then? Um, yeah. Well, when you guys got into politics a little bit, I just thought, I need to listen to this later today. We didn't get into politics. You did enough. I could see the, sh- the smirks on your faces. Over <laughs> no, we did not get into politics. But I'm telling you, today is the day after that of which we will not speak on this podcast. Yeah, because you and I do care for each other. We are friends. Right. We, I respect you. Well, I respect you, too. See, when you say that, <laughs> that's a loaded thing that you just said. I, I, <clears throat> hey, yeah, and I need yeah, to explain hey, guess something. guess what? I loaded it. <laughs> I'm not going to put you on the spot. Yeah. You, and you may know this, but I'm not going to say, hey, do you know this? Because that's being a jerk. But it has come to my attention <laughs> that when people talk about ad hominem attacks, mm-hmm. They often don't know what an ad hominem attack is. And so I've been it's trying corn. to think of a way to make it as... It's corn no, soaked it's not in hot. a lot. It's it. I would say an ad hominem attack is when you go to Cracker Barrel and you wanted the grits and they brought you just a hominy, which is like grits that's not grits yet. An ad hominem attack, on the other hand. If I call you, if I say, hey, you're stupid... Yeah, a guy called me stupid today. Okay. If I call you stupid, that's not an ad hominem attack. If I say... It could be, right? No, no, it's under no... It's only an ad hominem attack if I add you're wrong because you're stupid. Oh, well, that's implied. No, but it's not implied, though. If I get angry with you and I say, you're being a belligerent jerk, you can't say, ad hominem attack, you said you wouldn't do it. And that's what all all the... uh, philosophical newbies like to try early on. That's right, yeah. And they're wrong. It's only an ad hominem attack if I say your argument 
is unsound or invalid because you're an obstinate jerk or something. Yeah, but that's an ad hominem okay. attack, and it's a fallacy. Goodness gracious, here we are again. <laughs> Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Landrum and his <laughs> ever-pervasive pursuit of truth. You were the one who started it. I did? Yes. I just said I didn't. I turned it off when you guys got into politics. Yeah, you said, I respect you. Oh, I do. With a question mark at the end of the sentence. No, the question mark was, do you respect me? You should, so you should never say a sentence where the word idiot would just fit comfor- comfortably really? at the end of the sentence. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's not what you were saying. <clears throat> no, I mean, here's the deal. If we're going to be friends... I'm now not, it's an if. What happened? Listen, there's plenty of people in my life i got to practice how I say things and get it just right. I'm right. giving you a pass. You don't yeah, have that's, to I think we say do. everything just right with me. I don't want to. I don't want to burden you with that. Well, and and look, it's going to sound like this is being self-serving, but there have been times you've said things to me that, uh, and then hung up the phone <laughs> immediately. <clears throat> we, I think you remember those times, and then uh, we talk again a few minutes later, and it's like nothing happened. Well, to me, it's like. Just it's like gritting your teeth a little bit on the the uh, on the the badminton court. I don't I have no idea how that applies. <laughs> that would be a non sequitur. It's not a non sequitur. <laughs> In essence, you perceived non sequitance. All I'm trying to sequitance. I like that. Uh, all I'm trying to say is you get a pass as far as I'm concerned too. <clears throat> but see, part of it's because uh, you bring a lot to the table. I do, like my belly. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes hominy. Sometimes you'll even add hominy. No, I've listened to some of our past podcasts, and I tend to say about the same 14 and a half things over and mm-hmm. over again. There is a chance that we don't have enough to say to continue this. Right. We know that's true. And this is why I'm going to go further to suggest that neither one of us is intelligent enough to know which uh, person to vote for. I don't believe that either one of us is very intelligent or has the data we need. And I also want you to know that I think that you could run for president. We live in this time, Steve. <laughs> yeah? Where if you want to know as many true things as possible and as few false things as possible, it's possible because you can get to the source quickly now because the source is documented left and right and sometimes there's no question if if a fist meets another person's nose somebody got punched well that's, that's maybe the best way to sort some of these things out <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> I don't well, what know. about hey, dulcimer do you still yeah well play? we got some stuff we've got some stuff uh some musical stuff to talk about do you sure. still play Oh my goodness, yes, a lot. More than ever. More than I have in years these days. Now, you're older than me, but we both know that physically and mentally you're younger than me. But So I, I'm not cracking on your age here, but are you experiencing anything like with arthritis? Because I think I am a little. Um, so <clears throat> I had to take a break on remodeling the house. Yeah. And most of my aches and pains went away. Yeah? Uh, yeah. 
and that break was because I had you know, had to get DPN out the door, and uh, I'm healthier when I'm working on the magazine and practicing my well, instrument than does, I am when I'm doing construction. What does arthritis feel like? Do you know? Well, you know, it's an in, it's a uh, inflamed joints. Right, it's an autoimmune disease. Wow, it's where your your body works harder to fight an infection that might not even be there. And so it causes inflammation. I mean, that's it's 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 just messing up. But you know, there's osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. I need to look all that up. And the osteo is what you generally get as you age, and probably everybody gets that a little bit. But the rheumatoid stuff is is, I mean, they're both debilitating. But for somebody your age, what are you? Twenty three now. I'm forty two. Forty two. Rheumatoid arthritis is like. Think about it like early onset diabetes right, right. or something. Yeah, it yeah, comes. but so a lot of our students, I almost said patients. That's terrible. A lot <laughs> they of do them. call the magazine and ask about their prescriptions on oh, a regular that's basis. Great. Um, well, um, a lot of them talk about dealing with arthritis, and one thing I've heard over and over again is that if you'll use your hands a lot in that new way, that the arthritis pain gets better. Well, I'm no doctor, and uh, all I know is when I practice a lot, I have less pain. Yeah, uh, there you but go. But there are things, though. For instance, if I'm using a drill or a hammer, I'm going to hurt the next day, and it hurts like a tennis elbow. But that, could, that might be normal. Could be normal, but people there are people who do that every day, you know, and maybe they get by on, on painkillers. But I know it affects my playing. I guess that's how it ties into music. So if I've... If I've been working on the house, my practice and my playing for the next day. So for the last two days, I haven't played as much because I've been working on stuff around the house again. And I'm like, man, we got to finish. And we are almost done, but we have to get... As soon as we finish this podcast, for instance, I'm going to cut a hole in the wall and put in the hood over our uh, range. And Angie's putting up the tile backsplash. So that's exciting. Not to anybody listening, (laughs) (laughs) but to us. Well, I played so much... The last three weeks, three to four weeks, but in particular the last week, you were woodshedding like a crazy person. Yeah, right? so you you're, you're watching me on the camera right now. Right. Uh, here's my hand. <laughs> right. This this is the uh, this little is that the funny bone or something or what is that thing? Something I don't know. And then right here, there's some muscle that was just burning on both arms. Oh really? That's yeah. interesting. And uh, I, of course. We talked it to death, maybe, but I, I played this concerto in Oregon, and I had to be real. This was the best I've ever managed this. I had to be real careful to practice as much as I could each day and no more. And I mean physically no more, because I knew I would ruin my arms. Um, sometimes I fretted so lightly and strums with so little movement that it was more of a cerebral exercise. But... Um, I definitely felt more arm and hand pain than I ever have. Like then when I got home after this last week, I woke up in the middle of the night with my arms and hands aching, which was interesting. So I'm just, yeah, we, you know, I'm yeah. celebrating, uh, celebrating, you know, being around for a while, I guess. <clears throat> Anything to share about the experience of working with that orchestra and doing that new piece? It was astounding. Knowing right now that the composer listens to the podcast, 
Um, hello, Mark. Mark Steigner. Um, I just want to go over this real quick because it's pretty cool. He contacted me somehow, said, do you want me to write a concerto? I said, yes. And then an unbelievably short amount of time, he had me a first movement, then a second movement, then a week later, a third movement. Um, I really, I would have liked to have gotten started on this sooner as far as me practicing it, working it out. He gave me standard notation. He also gave me Sibelius score. Sibelius is a, like a music editing program. So I had the full orchestra in my computer with the dulcimer parts. It's interesting. He chose uh, to make the dulcimer sound uh, using the computer. He used a combination of banjo and acoustic guitar, which really wasn't so bad, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was really cool to be able to hear that whole thing, slow it down, loop certain parts, print out just the dulcimer part. I ended up exporting the dulcimer part to MIDI, which is just musical instrument, uh, it's digital interface, digital information. <laughs> That's what we'll call it. And, um, I brought it into table edit, uh, tabla deet, according to, uh, the French guy who wrote it. I think somebody let me know. I've had people say, That's not how you pronounce that. But the guy who wrote it, who lives in France, says tabla deet. So, um, somebody let me know. But you've got to be French. I mean, you can't just know French. You've got to be actually, <laughs> like, I'll even accept Quebec or something. All right. So I exported that into um, Table Edit. I'm going to get just a little geeky briefly because some of you have been through this process. It brought it all in an octave too high. So... Ah, can I stop you? I had to highlight everything and wait. knock it all down an octave. Wait, wait, wait. Ahead. Before you go far, it's because you had... Uh, the European standard is C3, and ours is C4 is middle C. I don't know. Mark yeah. is not very European. No, no, no. But the guy who wrote it is, is a Francais, and so he might have oh, had the middle C standard set to C3. Oh, really? As opposed to C4. Yeah, and there's an option for that sometimes. Can I put you on that? Can you figure that out? Mm-mm. Okay, so. <laughs> but you can look in the preferences, though. So then what came in, you know, that was an automatic, it, that's table edit, automatically turning standard notation, regular music notes into tablature, which it doesn't do really well for the dulcimer. And I don't expect it to really. So I spent two or three days doing nothing but doing a rough arrangement. And it was hilarious. I can't remember the exact numbers, but some of the chords table edit came up with, it was like three six, 12. <laughs> so like that. was at, it, at that stage of doing a, a task like this, that's generally when I start questioning myself. Would it be better if I was just memorizing this and not trying to get it written out? Yeah, but there was nothing to memorize yet. Well, you could have listened to his guitar banjo dulcimer and just memorized it. He was too specific about chords and things. Okay, voicings. He also... Yeah, although he has dulcimers, I'm, I think he plays dulcimer better than he says. But I, there, he came up with some really unorthodox, yet playable, cool ideas on the fingerboard. So as soon as I hit a few of those, I knew I had to give it my best. And I did a rough arrangement first. Then I spent about a week going through it and, and 
clarifying. You know, there were certain things where it's like, of course I shouldn't be playing that up there. I should play it over here. It really, that, that was like a deciphering process. Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. Did, were you weighing the voice of the, the timbre of where you were playing it? How, do, how would you weight the timbre of where you were playing it as opposed to the ease of where you were playing it? You know, cause, well, we don't have as many choices, maybe, as you would think. Okay. Now, there, there are definitely places where I had a sense like, wow, I could just do this down here. But the way he wrote it, like there's this one place I could have just simply played the main theme on the melody string around two, three, and four with a drone. But the way he wrote it, it was obvious he wanted that melody string and that middle string open to be ringing. Gotcha. So I had to put those same notes up on the bass string around nine and 10 and 11. And, um, and I knew I needed to make some decisions like what you're talking about, but I thought I still need to stick with what he wrote. I need to figure out what he was thinking and feeling. And then I got to a place where um, I had about two weeks while I was on the road in Florida, and I did not have hardly any time. Um, but I eventually, this is crazy, I eventually exported everything into Logic, the audio recording MIDI sequencing program on, on the Apple. So I was able to play along with the different sections and change the tempos. And and um, I actually started to get a realistic picture of what it all looked like. Then I had to go through everything again. But what I ended up with is on the plane to, and there's a neat story about that, but I'll save that. On the plane to Oregon, you know, I had... I don't know if I had a total of six flying hours uh, between two different flights, but I just worked through this tablature, making changes, thinking through it, listening to the piece over and over again. When I got to Oregon, man, I had um, I had to go right to the rehearsal, and I wasn't ready. I was missing all kinds of cues. You know, part of that was because part I wasn't... Part of that's nerves. Part of that's nerves. Of. Part of that's not being prepared as I'd like to be, but part of it is essential. You've got, it's like you've got to get together with all that and just see what happens before you can make decisions, you know. So after the rehearsal, I knew what I needed to do. And um, let's see, rehearsal was Tuesday night. So I had Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to not over practice. Um, every technique I've taught my classes over the last few years about uh, long, short, short, long practice methods. Um, Every, every shortcut I could think of to get my brain and my body to get in alignment with this new material as quick and as painlessly as possible. Anyway, we get into the first performance, and it went pretty well. And the second performance, I missed a, a few things, but it went pretty well. Overall, it went really well. Now, the thing that I have to ask myself is, should I have done all that crazy work two months earlier? So that... Well, sure. Yeah, sure. because I had to play from paper. I couldn't... I, I actually have big chunks of it memorized, but I still needed that paper there. But the funny thing is, the, the drive and the, the pressure of, that, of, of those last few weeks, I hate to say this, especially since uh, Mark might be listening, but I kind of need that. You know, and that may be something about myself I can change, but the fear and, and knowing that this, this impending rehearsal is 
coming down the pike. It, it really did, forces me to get my act together, go to bed on time, get up early. I did Pomodoros the whole time. We'll just, we'll just pretend like everybody knows what that is. Those are those little things where you work for 25 minutes, you walk around the house for five, and after, you know, four of those 25-minute work sessions, you take like 30, 45-minute break. He was not talking about a drug. No. <laughs> it does sound like it. I it? smoked Pomodoros. But, Cuban you know, Pomodoros. The amazing thing, and also doing all this, you know, we're just humble dulcimer <laughs> players. We are forced to see ourselves accurately, I think, sometimes because we don't get to pretend we're big shots. I think when we do, we fail pretty publicly. Pretty <laughs> oh, quickly. my goodness. But, yeah. but when That's I... That's when we're thankful for kazoo players. <laughs> it's got to be... There's hardly anybody we can look down on, you know? I mean, and so we could overplay this hand, but the, the point is... We're often strangers in a strange land. And yeah, I kept thinking, my goodness, people brought me out to Oregon. I've got, I've got 1,012, the equivalent of 1,006 measures, if I converted everything to the way I would write it. Um, I'm coming together with an orchestra, which is like roughly 100 people all co- cooperating. It's just, it's absolutely mind-blowing to think that I'm somehow in the center of that hurricane. You, so you kept the music on the stand. Yeah. Did that make it harder for you? <clears throat> I mean, that's, isn't that odd for a soloist generally? I mean, because the soloist really needs to, to be in contact with the conductor. With the audience. And the audience, true. I mean, I think, I feel like I'm good with the conductor the way I said I can, um, <clears throat> I had Rebecca, uh, which she did a fantastic job, but I, you know, I, the way I sit, I can see her out of the corner of my eye. But the one thing I wanted to do, the reason of, before the second performance, I really did try to play from memory. But um, the reason I wanted to play from memory is I wanted to connect with the audience more. So in the piece, whenever there was like six, eight, twelve measures where I don't do anything, um, I would make sure I was counting. And then I would take that time to just look at the audience, which seems weird, but I don't like these. It pre- can be for people. I mean, you have some looks that are. Oh, I look like a funky chicken. Like, well, would you, you weren't like chicken necking it while you were counting. I were can't you? stop. Probably not while I was counting. Okay. But I think that um, like when I watch a, a State of the Union address, I don't like it when I think they're reading it. I really wish they'd talk to me the way your dad would tell you what the deal is, yeah. you know. That's um, right. And so with the music... Some people never get good at that. No that's matter right. How much and it doesn't do. mean they should stop doing what they do. Right. But for me, my I do have regrets in life. And if somebody doesn't like it, I regret that they don't like it. Um, I, I wish I had Not started much. all this a couple months ago and just gotten yeah. totally from memory. But the good news is that I'm pretty much ready. That's where I'm at now. You know? Yeah. So the times that I've performed with an orchestra I always I never use music uh, part, again part, there's that whole being dyslexic and when I look away from a piece of paper it takes me a long time to find my place again and I've gotten better at that putting little notes on the paper like color coded oh my goodness yeah stuff. yeah. so through the rehearsals my, my music looks like it just it kind of doesn't make sense sometimes I even present it to myself in a way that maybe nobody else would understand it but it all means something to me at the time. But there's that moment 
where you go, okay, this time and this this time through, I'm going to put it away. Where uh, it's that's a scary feeling, but I find that, and I'm wondering if this is true for you at all, that uh, it takes that to get it to commit to memory sometimes. Like if I continue to rely on the paper and don't look right. away from the paper, it never really. You don't get to go through that moment of uh, the bottoms falling out, you know. Right, and and that's that's absolutely the deal. I mean, what some of the things that help with that, and this really helps. You've got to have the somewhat of a background for it. But if I do chord analysis of what he wrote, that gives me. I can look at a section and say, all right, this part here, if I get lost or freaked out before this section comes up, I just need to remember it's a basic D chord going to an E minor or something like that. You know, and then that's just one way to look at it. Theoretically, I could look at it. Would you write that on ways. there? Oh, yeah. You should see well, yeah. my paper is just littered with tips, colored circles, all kinds of right. stuff. Yeah. Another thing that really helped... Um, this freaked me out, and I, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't realize this until now. I mean, I've been playing. Mm, I mean, I've been playing with an orchestra once a year on average for 20 years almost, which is insane. But still, that's nothing like what these full-time people do. You know, I'm just a visitor. But yeah, but in a way, it's easier for them because they do it on a regular basis. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once a year is hard. Yeah, I think so. But what I didn't realize all these 20 years is that my measure numbers don't line up with the conductor's measure numbers, who don't line up with the percussionist's measure numbers. So, and this is why, if I print out the dulcimer score for this piece, there's, there's a section where there's like eight measures where I'm not supposed to do anything. That'll be counted as one measure, and there'll be an indication that that's eight measures long. You know. So you can't just say to the conductor, That's can right. we look at measure 467? Or yeah, whatever. you've got to say six measure after score mark B. Right. So the way Mark did it was A through Z and then A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D, E, E, F, F, G, G. Okay. <laughs> and and yeah. so, yeah, you would say nine before G, G or something like that. But um, what really helped me is I got rid of those single measures that just said, you know, eight measures and nothing. I actually wanted to see eight measures of emptiness. Really, and then what I, I see, did? You you must, you had a lot of pages then. Well, it, it it turned it into ten pages total, but I I had it printed so tiny it was crazy. Really, um, but one too tiny. But I would never hand that out to a group of people. But the thing I did with that those big chunks of empty measures is I listened to the what the orchestra was doing there, and I tried to hear the musical sentences they were doing. And I would put parentheses around like three measures and then these four. But all that stuff, I guess if you're in music school and you play an orchestra, maybe you figure all this stuff out the first, you know, four years or something. But Heidi Mueller and I were writing a couple of days ago. Heidi Muller? Heidi Muller, sorry. I'm going to vote thinking, for Muller. I was thinking of Karen Mueller, sorry. And it was, it, of what she said, I'm trying to. I'm looking at her note here, trying to find it. Where oh, she yeah, mentioned, she wants a quote from me. She saw your music. Yes, yeah, she was she just, there. She couldn't believe how tiny it was. Oh, that's funny. Well, that's a good. Uh, that was one of the, the things that she wrote to me. Is like, I just don't know how he does that. Well, you know, when you're an artist, sometimes you can squint and just. You no, know, stop that. No, I, I don't. You, you see, know when you know when you're an artist. That's what you sound like, <laughs> dude. You're the one with the uh, the goatee, all right, and the shaved head. 
Get a get a proper ball cap, Mister. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, artist. So you you squint and you see through your eyelashes, and it gives you kind of an abstract dark light version of what you're looking at. <laughs> and in a way, when you make that music really tiny, it just becomes um, a gentle reminder of what you're doing. Yeah. So I would say, in a sense, that you probably wouldn't do that if you were really reading it note for note off the page. No, my eyes are getting worse, and so no. But why am I talking about all this? Because it's a very lonely pursuit. It's like when I was there, I was thinking, you know, I want to call somebody that does this kind of thing a lot. But I, I only know people, for the most part, like you, where we get to do it every blue moon. Right. And I and it was it was just a lonely thing. Like I wanted to call Aaron and see like Aaron, what do you think about this, this, and this? And I was like, no, you need to. Just you know that do and this. that that just wastes your time too. In a, in a way, it, but it it was an amazing experience. That, well, that's not to say that. I mean, if you can call the composer, if you can talk to someone. Sure. I called a friend of mine who's a conductor on the last on the last one and said, hey, there's this thing. How should I? Even got tips on how to address this foreign composer I was going to be talking to. I mean, foreign uh, maestro, you know, and, and and those kinds of tips help, but nothing beats being prepared by having right. It. And a lot of the questions I could have asked the last week to people I know, or just the same ones I asked ten years ago. And so I thought, you know, what they would all say is, you just need to do the work, <laughs> you know. Exactly. And you should have done it sooner. But it's such a big. It's such a big thing compared to what we usually do you know a one page fiddle tune so how do you feel about your performance knowing Mark is listening (laughs) (laughs) Um, I noticed that emotionally I came alive during the performance that's true of you every time you perform yeah but it was almost like the, the reinforcements had arrived you know, I was so thankful that there's some part of me that can kick on just playing, uh, you know, with passion. And there was also <laughs> a lot of nerves the day of, I guess. But when I actually got on stage, there was a part bad. of me that said, it doesn't matter. I mean, this sounds so crazy, but this part of me that thinks you've done all you can, be who you are, and live with the... the uh, Live with how it all shakes out. I think I remember saying almost that exact same thing to you after my last one. There's a point at which you get on the stage, and it's that's not you going, all right, I, I just, I, it doesn't matter, I don't care. Right, it's not that. It's not that. It's just a, there's a confidence thing that's really important at that point where you go, I can do this. It's going to be fine. Right. And even if I don't do it perfectly, and this doesn't sound maybe even like good advice, but even if I don't do it perfectly, 15 minutes from now it's going to have been done so knowing that if you're holding those if, if you're nervous about something it's not going to help you I mean in the, in the second night oh well in the first night there's a thing at the end that goes dun da da dun dun bum bum and it does that three times and then you get to the end well I lost count <laughs> I wasn't sure which da 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 bump bump we were on you didn't know if you were on the third or the second one or something yeah, but I, I, I happened to end it correctly, which is really important. Uh, on the second night, there was a section where I just lost my eyes on the paper. And this little voice inside my head was thinking E minor, and 
I went to play a note and I think I hit the wrong, you know, it wasn't even in the chord. It was just weird. But basically I feel like I was able to play well and I played from the heart and Do I you, think wait, it went wait. well and I think it was received well, hopefully. And, and maybe you don't want to say this, <laughs> but when you, when you realize that you're about to strike something, strum something, play some notes and you've lost your confidence for that moment in what you're doing. That do moment's tend, gone already. Do you tend to palm mute just a little bit what you play? Oh, well, emotionally, you, you're like a turtle who's just barely tucking your ears back under the shell. <laughs> but what I, what I think in those moments is I see a fast-running stream, and whatever I just dropped in it is way gone now. <laughs> and I, oh, and yeah, I'm thankful yeah. for that. Now, you're talking about getting past it, but I'm talking about in that... You know that moment when the car door is closing and you know that your keys are inside, but you realize there's nothing you can do about it, but you might even move in the direction like you're trying to stop it. I wonder if, if there's any way that that comes through physically in the way that you play. It, like, I don't know. Sometimes I, 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 I err. Sometimes I do the opposite. If I know what I'm doing is kind of going to maybe not work for one or two or three beats, I sit up yeah. straight and I look like I mean business. Oh, that's an important part of anything, right? I mean, it's just getting dressed up and ready for the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... I, well, I, I guess, and I'll just finish this little side note for me with that, is I'm better off acting like, reminding myself, just play, just play, just do it with confidence, than trying to mask it or cover it, because that process of masking, covering it somehow... It messes with my timing. Oh yeah, and there's a voice in my head that 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 says, you know, you're gonna screw this up or something. And then this other voice, which is they're all my voices, of course. Um, I say, <laughs> hey, I I am a professional. I've got to knock this out. I've done it before. I can do it again. And then the little voice is like, what if it doesn't work? And then I just think, I don't have time for you. Because yeah, I See, this gets us into the whole illusion of self, which would be fun to talk about. Well, it's me, of course. Yeah, but maybe no you. So. Well, according to you. But I, 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 I don't want to talk too long about this, but I, um, I had something neat happen on the airplane on the way to Oregon. Did you sit by Yo-Yo Ma or something? Almost. <laughs> so I was... I took the small McSpadden backpack, you know, the, the really minimal soft case, because it looks so non-threatening to a stewardess. And, but the problem was, is, you know, you put that up there, somebody doesn't know it's up there, they slam a suitcase onto it. Mm -hmm. So I was keeping a really good eye on it. So I see a guy get on with what looks like a small instrument case. It looks really familiar. It's smaller than mine. And I instantly, as soon as I saw this guy, I said, hey, can you put that up here? And he looked at me like, what's wrong with you? And I said, I've got an instrument up here. They, you know, they would go well together. And he said, well, I, I need to keep my dulcimer with me or something like that. Cool. And it was a young guy. Like, he looked like he was 23 or something. And we started talking. And I don't, I don't remember the order of all this, but I heard him telling the guy next to him something about his dulcimer. And he was sitting right behind me, too. So we started talking That's about. That's strange, yeah. And and it was funny because I felt like grandpa a little bit, you know. I was like, "What do you got there? An Apple Creek, you know?" Because it's all coming to me now. He's like, "Yeah, how do you know?" So, um, 
I ended up making a short list of people you should check out. I put the magazine on there and different things, and uh, mentioned Gene Ritchie, and I mentioned the Freenia, and then, you know. Is he is the guy in a band, or is he just picked it up and enjoying it? What's his story? Well, he I think he's been through college. I think he went to Raleigh, the the, the university in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and I think he spent a lot of time at summer camps. I didn't talk to him too much, but he he's not familiar with any of us, which is so cool. And um, my parting gift to him was a capo. I was like, what can you give this man to set him on the right road? And I thought nothing could be better maybe than a capo. That's cool. That uh, David Wilcox gave me a capo one time. Oh, really? That's he cool. did. And it was one of his funky capos that he had designed for doing alternate weird tunings. And he said, he went to his car and said, here, I want to give you something. <laughs> he came back and he said, this is, he said, put this on your guitar. Magic world. <laughs> That's the same kind of deal. Mark Steigner, the <laughs> composer, mentioned um, Wilcox like three or four times during the week. Well, maybe it was all during one meal, but you know my stories are not exactly accurate. <laughs> they're not. It's uh, like, but they're pretty. I think I'm in the upper ninety-five percentile. Yeah, I mean, are you trying to get the exact details right? Or are you trying to get the uh, point of the story across? Yeah, or, or whatever, right. Well, I mean, you could lose, one could cause you to lose the other. I mean, In our community, we know each it wouldn't other. Have, it wouldn't well, have mattered so. if I had said David Wilcox went to his red car <laughs> and brought back a capo. Unless which David was black Wilcox and color. was like, it was a blue color and Dan must be a liar. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Because those the kind of things don't matter. But we are, but we can't have friends like that. Why? I gotta have friends that understand that the red car was actually blue sometimes. Oh yeah. But I'm not uh, gonna that, say a, the guy was riding a, you know, a manatee or something. It's a car. I'm not gonna change it that much. <laughs> right. Have you ever the, ridden a manatee? No. See, the only point in mentioning the car, it might have been a car, might have been a bicycle, was that. It was like an afterthought, like, hey, we, we made some connection and I want to give you something. And so he took the time to go and get something and bring it back. And that's like you with this guy. That meant something to him. He'll, it's a story he'll tell forever, but <clears throat> he'll have you as being a uh, 22-year-old female as opposed to a 42-year-old male or something. The way I walk is not unlike a 22-year-old female. <laughs> yes, it is. It's much unlike. It's very different. I've seen side shots of myself. Anyway... You kind of lurch a little bit, but I know you've been working on that. No, I'm a little bit like uh, I've been looking at some old photographs from uh, like the um, late 18, early 1900s of people with uh, disfigurements. And anyway, let's can we talk about you for a little bit? No, I want to I want to talk about a listener. I want to bring up a, uh, a a really nice email that I got and just a nice email from an angry listener <laughs> or might have that backwards. I don't know. So <clears throat> this guy says uh, he's watched videos that uh, we've made uh, learning how to play. To be honest with you, he might be talking about Stephen Humphreys here. He sure. probably is. <laughs> now that I say that, but I still think it's a good letter. You sometimes think I'm David, David Humphreys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Stephen Humphreys. Come on now. He says, I'm working to learn, and this is good because it applies to pretty much everything we've talked about. I'm working to learn the notes on sheet music and placement of these notes on my instrument is not coming easy. I hope that some of the theory will slowly fall into place. It makes a huge difference if you know the music you're trying to learn. 
I've been working on some particular music and talks about that for a bit. Uh, then he says, I and many beginners would like to know what sort of problems plagued you and Steve. How did you overcome these issues? We're not all born musicians. Often a piece of music is just a mystery to me, but, but it would be fun to learn. It's just a pile of frustrating problems we've been working through for decades. And apparently we enjoy the process, but it's a pile. It is an absolute pile of things that have made me feel inadequate and frustrated and scared. And it was a trial by fire and I was too stupid to stop and I liked it. It never occurred to me that uh, I should uh, drop the ball and go home or whatever, you know. But but I but let's go ahead and answer his question. Now. No, no, but but I think you did. You you almost nailed it. You were not born a musician, but you perhaps were born somebody who has the ability to, to stick to something doggedly. Like we are not like these kids who are born um, plumbers or born accountants where the kid at the age of four is able to manage corporate tax law. They, see, they only say this about music for the most part. I know there's other kind of prodigies, but it's always music. It's like we've got this big idea that people are born with this huge music thing. But we don't say that about um, like somebody who digs septic tanks. Like, man, when he was three and a half, you wouldn't believe the, you know, what he did with the septic theory. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting a little wild here. No, that's okay. But it's just this same thing came up last week talking to Aaron. And Aaron mentioned a friend of his said it angers him the most when somebody says, boy, you got, you got a gift there. I know, but that's a beautiful thing for somebody. It is, it is, but but it's not. It's not like someone hands you the gift. See, I think the deal is it's a struggle to learn something like music, and we like that struggle, and well, I like the fruits of it. But I, I got to tell you, if you're doing crossword puzzles just to get crossword puzzles done, you know, you might as well get a computer to do it or something. I mean, there no, are no, people no. who actually like working a puzzle. I just, yeah, okay, okay. But I want to stick with the gift thing for a minute, even though it may make seem like it's going to be contentious or just rehashing the old ground, but I'm beginning to understand it a little bit differently. I want to hear when somebody says, you've got a gift. I appreciate that. When they I appreciate that. what they said. but And I agree it, with it, part of it. <laughs> I'm agreeing that I was fortunate to find a thing that my gift allowed me to excel in. And, you know, because there are things, we, we were born with proclivities. We, we have, some kids are just going to stick with it. And some kids are just going to give up on some things. And, you know, you, it go, comes down to the marshmallow test. You remember that? We've yeah. talked about this before. That, that marshmallow test deal has a lot to do with how successful people are. And that's, unfortunately, at least based on what I've been reading, you don't really learn that. You're mostly born with it. Yes, say it again. I want to hear it again. So the marshmallow test, <clears throat> there's all kinds of variations of this, but it's been done and done and done. It's where they come into a child, <clears throat> and it needs to be a stranger. And, and, the, and the stranger says, look, child's sitting at this little table with a little plate there. Then he puts a marshmallow down on a little paper plate, and he says, uh, you can eat this marshmallow if you want to eat the marshmallow. But if you can wait five minutes... There's different variations where they don't tell them how long. Sometimes they tell them five minutes or two minutes or whatever. If you can wait, when I come back, you can have two marshmallows. 
And it's a test that's been done so many times that for years they've been able to follow people who've, who've done it and seen how successful they are in life. It kind of doesn't matter what it is they try, but whether or not they've been able to succeed and excel. In okay. Well, and we those have, who have the ability to wait do the best. But we have to add this to the mix. Somebody might not be able to wait on a marshmallow. They're going to eat that first one because they're, you know, but when, if it came to something else, you know, like uh, saving money or mowing a yard or something or dealing with somebody's strange personality. I mean, some people are going to make different choices based on the, the context. Sure, but as teachers of adults and children, I think, for me, I mean, you may not agree with this, but I think it's my, my mission to speak to that child, even in the adult, that says, hey, this is hard and praise somebody, not because they did a good job of doing the thing, but because they did the hard work. Yeah, I like that. I feel like part of my job with music is not to impose my dream on other people. What I want to do with music is say to somebody, "Let's, I'll help you find out what you really want to do with music. Even if that means not play it, whatever. You know, let's figure out what you want to do. Sometimes somebody comes to a dulcimer club where they've got all the sheet music out, and that person is not compatible with that. They've got some wonderful, awesome musicness in them <laughs> that is not going to involve sitting there and reading through arrangements, and vice versa. I mean, you could have there's different ways to enjoy music, to learn it, to play it. Um, I, I what makes me sad is to see somebody who sees one way it's done, and they presume that's the only way it's done. For everyone. And I want to let them know there's different ways to enjoy this. And you can go deep and you can go shallow and there is no moral judgment on it. Let's just figure out what you really want to do. I'll help you do it best I can, you know. So so back to uh, this, the, this guy's question. He's just getting started. And he wants to learn, you know, to be able to, to play from the sheet. And sheet music is an amazing source. I enjoy reading music myself. I don't, but I wish I did. If I was better at it, I would. I'd say it was the best thing in the world. Oh, uh, what is it? What is that when kids do that? Like if a kid doesn't have a, an Xbox game system, he might be like, I hate Xbox. It's stupid. Exactly. And then his uncle buys him one for Christmas, and all of a sudden he loves it. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's certain skills we've got, like reading. Both of us want to be better readers. Both of us know people who are monster readers. They're just right. great at it. Um, that's funny. Some of the stuff we hear that people hate, it's because they can't do it or haven't done it yet. But there's, there's an upside and a downside to all this. I love being able to play by watching hands, by playing by ear, uh, by reading music, by making stuff up. But your I think question all those is, this reading. guy... They're this, all reading, though. It's all just different you, kinds of reading. Different types or whatever. But I think this guy... If he doesn't know there's other ways to play, I would want to take him on a tour of the different ways you can play music. But if he's decided that he wants to read better, now, uh, what's the question? <laughs> well, so he says that thing. Often a piece of music is just a mystery to me, but it would be fun to learn. I didn't continue after that, but he says, I also noticed that many dulcimer players don't have sheet music in front of them as they play. So whatever they play or you play, you have learned at some point. Yeah. Each time I practice, let's just read a little bit more of this. Each time I practice, 
I hope I've not learned the piece wrong or more bad habits. Uh, and then he talks about you know some specific goals with hammer dulcimer, but I think this applies to to these instruments in general. Yeah, this is uh, all normal stuff we hear from people who are new to this. They often say they don't want to learn bad habits. I tell people, look, you're going to have to unlearn and reform habits continually as a musician. So don't worry too much in the start. Let's just get in and start making some noise. You know, right. don't, it doesn't don't, change. don't live in fear of having bad habits. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And what was the other one he said? He said, uh, what was right around habits? Uh, bum, 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 piece wrong. More bad habits. Uh, learn the piece wrong. Yeah. And of course, there's different theories on that. But yeah. <laughs> so what are they? <laughs> We don't have to go deep on them, but I mean, some of them are that, well, I mean, that's, it's all just, a, everything's a variation unless you have the composer's original. You know, there's less of a, if you really listen, to, if you get on YouTube, you're going to hopefully be able to find a whole bunch of versions of some song and you should be able to come up with an average impression of some of the ways this is expressed. You know, I don't trust that as much as I used to though. Because every now and then I'll go lo looking for something and do exactly what you said. And I'll find songs that are, they don't sound like the same song. They're so different sometimes. Well, sometimes they are, but you've got to go through that experience. You have to know this is a different song with the same title or whatever. But I mean, if you find six things that all sound similar, and when you sit and muddle through the sheet music, you're like, this sounds kind of like what those guys are doing. But just know, writer, <laughs> that... There's different philosophies of music, and mine is, these are just, when I put out a book, like my Join the Jam, and then Soldier's Joy is on one of these pages, that's just an example of how one might play that tune one time through. It's certainly never meant to be the law. And, you know, if I could honor the original author, I might. Uh, I mean, I'd be glad to give his name, but I... I really am not interested in reproducing exactly what somebody else did. I, I want it to I want it to be some strange garden where you pluck these weird mushrooms, you know? Yeah, but you didn't get to have that attitude in the least bit in Oregon. You yeah, can't I go, did. Mark, I'm kinda reinterpreting what you Yeah, did. I did. Now I, I had to be conservative with it. Um, there was he, I forget exactly how he put this. No, wait a second, because I've listened to some of it. And in the, uh, the, the second movement's the one that I've heard the best recording of, which and I even looked it up to make sure I was using the word sublime correctly because <laughs> it's a beautiful movement. But it sounds like you're doubled, and I'm thinking back, you're either doubled by the harp or flute or something. Well. And, and so, I mean, you can't go, when you're being doubled or harmonies are being played with you in an orchestra, you can't change it. Oh, yeah. Well, first, no, I, I don't know how he said this exactly, but Mark let me know that he's okay with me uh, being flexible, <laughs> you know, being elastic with some of my ideas. I forget how he put it. But uh, there's a part where I play this theme in the second movement, it's slow. And then the second time I played, I'm joined by, I think, the clarinet or the oboe, I forget who came in with me. Yeah. Um, now, I pretty much played the melody, but what I had the choice of being flexible with was what do I do on the other strings? Because he did write some, some counterpoint type things on, like, on the middle string or whatever. So like there was a couple times when I got a little bit stressed and I knew I had practiced this. I can play what's on the melody string and I'll still be coherent. 
but that cool stuff on the middle, I may have to sacrifice in a moment of tension, you know. Okay. Um, there's other parts. He wanted me to cross pick um, bass, middle, melody, bum, ba da dun da da dun da da dun da da dun da da dun, and it was a little too fast for me, so I just went into a full strum there. And then what's cool is uh, he's inserted cadenza points, which I'm still learning to uh, function with, but it's sections where I can kind of do what I want. It's yeah. supposed to be in keeping with the piece. That's great. But I mean, um, music is more flexible. You know, I think, don't you, when you're a kid, you've, you, as you get older, you find out, oh, there's different ways to do things, you know. Music is alive. It's not a dead tradition. I don't like the part of it where it's a dead tradition. I like it to be living. It, but, it, yeah. One of, one of my favorite things about uh, our grandson right now is he's going through this phase where he'll say, uh, like, I'll have him come over to help me on something I'm working on where we're just putting stairs on or something like that. And I'll say, you think we should do it like this? And he'll go, maybe, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That makes me so happy. <laughs> maybe not. I want to uh, encourage this guy who wrote you to just find something he's fascinated with and dig in, you know? Yeah. Hey, uh, let's talk about Mark Steigner. Steigner? Steigner. 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 I don't know. If, I don't know if I have permission to say this or not, but uh, he's well into working on a double concerto for me and you. I know. Well. That's pretty exciting. You think, you think we have to cut this out or is it okay? I think this is exciting. I think it's really exciting. I think it could be really good for dulcimers. At first, he was talking about a double concerto. And understand that this may never ultimately come to light. But I suspect he's going to do this. And he talked about maybe it would be a concerto. And then later on, he said, maybe it'll be like a suite with five, six, seven parts or something. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Dude, that would be cool. It's so cool, Stephen. It has all kinds of potential. Uh, can we talk about... so? Again, if you if you don't want to talk about this, but how did Mark Steigner Steigner? Am I doing it right now? Steigner, just Steigner. Okay. I think I could be wrong. Okay, how did uh, how did it get arranged to play with this orchestra in in Oregon? You mean how did it get... Oh, oh. Well, he's the um, conductor of that orchestra. He's the conductor. I didn't realize that. Okay. I thought you said something about Pat. Rebecca. Rebecca. Conducted it. He conducted the whole concert, I'm pretty sure, but he wanted Rebecca to, for different reasons, he wanted her to conduct this piece. Well, one of the reasons that made sense to me is, you know how you and I, when, uh, when we record we don't really like to play on the same recording. Like if we have to record a big band, I don't want to also be playing on it. Right. And I think as a composer, it's nice to trust what you've written to somebody else and, and you kind of play the composer role and let them do the conductor role. Yeah, that's cool. So so let's say, let's say this happens, and we really hope it does, and, and maybe we get to do this with his orchestra. Or another one, which is, hey, people, listen. Um, no, I'm saying his first, but then we're going to try to shop this to other yeah, orchestras. Yeah, and I would love to play with his again, but the, it's usually an orchestra won't have the same artist back so soon, but they could do it. But, oh, I, I I yeah. but I mean, it might happen that way, but we, we need to put the word out, and Mark is okay with this because we talked about it. We need to find an orchestra to play this thing. 
Well, I, I'll certainly, I would be glad to have Mark's group do it. Yeah, well, I'll certainly, I mean, I'll hit my contacts that, that I have. Uh, which sure makes sense to do this thing in Tennessee or Kentucky, though, wouldn't it? In a way, I kind of, I don't know. I just don't know the orchestras. You know, I can't pinpoint and think like, we should try here, here, and here. I'll tell you what we're going to do is anybody who's interested, that's who we're going to talk to. You know? Yeah. But well, if, I mean, if you're out there and you have family members that play in orchestras, you know, send them right. to iTunes to listen to Blackberry Winter off of the Conversations in Silence recording Nashville Chamber Orchestra. Um, uh, Connie Elliser wrote this piece, Broadband, A Light for Me. We, we've really got to get that recorded. We've got this guy in L.A., probably it's looking now like 2017 we'll be able to perform that in two different locations and record both blackberry winter maybe and oh good broadband alight and then now we've got this piece and there's no reason you and i shouldn't write something as quick as we can just knock out something like i want to write something just for me for like a string orchestra or something and then get somebody like mark to fix it or to oh that's interesting yeah i've got my score you know i did that for the Chattanooga Symphony six or seven years ago uh, for the 4th of July performance. We did several of my original pieces, and I was scared to death putting those scores together. But I did, and I know there were things in them that probably got laughed at. But we played the pieces, <laughs> and it came off well. So I can think of a curmudgeon saying, that the dulcimer in the orchestra, that's absurd. Well, it's fun, and I'm going to die one day, and this is some of the kind of fun I want to have before I die. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all. <clears throat> We're all in this big family, this big music family. Uh, yeah. And dude, here's something else. I did this math. And I figured out I have roughly 75 days a year at home where I can get work done. But usually, there's a lot of trips, right? I'm on the road a lot. Right. If I take one day off when I get back from a trip to just totally chill... Then I, I lose about, I don't know, 35, 40 of those days. <laughs> I mean, I get down to where there's roughly, when I started thinking of, of all the different ways things can roll, I've got about 20 days to get things done every year at home on the computer. I got to find a new way of operating. But really, I mean, if you get 75 full work days at home, fine. But what if you take two weeks out to work on a new book? Or on your house. You just chewed into a major chunk of your available days. Well, isn't that's the that thing, crazy? isn't it? And it depends. I, My wife has been encouraging this in me for years. I would be better if I worked on a little bit of everything every day. But it seems so hard to do that. I don't do well that way, but I have to develop that skill. So that's what I'm trying. So. But at some point you might realize you are developing that skill, but you might realize you are unable to develop that skill. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> yeah. I I tell you what, having, again, boy, I know people are tired of hearing it, but having my my grandchildren close and knowing how Nobody's much I, I enjoy every second I get to spend with them. That's right. That's <clears throat> I have to organize my life so that I get to do that whenever I want that's to do it. That's priority. That's good. Yeah. So that's that's a reason. And it's funny. I It's Maybe you should be able to do that just because of you want your work to be that way. But I kind of need something else. 
it's, this is this is a weird confession, and I boy, I hope Angie's not listening right now. But oh my goodness, I do better when I have a, a deadline <laughs> on something like Dulcimer Players News Magazine. Right. You know where I've really got to get the thing out the door. Oh, I do really pretty well I, with it. The, I, I do better in everything then, but like even when I'm practicing on, like because I I get tired of working too much, I just jump on this other thing. And it's funny how when it stops and I don't feel the immediate pressure of a deadline, I sort of get lax in everything. And I need sub deadlines. That's like, what I'm saying. Those like, need to happen daily. Yeah. Not only is this thing gonna happen in a month from now, but every three days we need such and such, or or we're gonna right. break your legs. Well, so that's what the pomodoro. <laughs> that's what smoking those pomodoros is supposed to do for right, you. He's right? kidding, folks. Yeah. You don't really smoke them. Hey, we've gone over an hour. We should stop. You know what? Here's how we should end the shows from now on. We should just stop talking. Works for me.